The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. If you uh, have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those and open those up to uh, Galatians. We're going to continue through our series that we started last week. We're going to try to finish up Galatians chapter 1 today. Uh, While you're turning there, I just got a a few announcements for you. Uh, Number one, Life Groups is going to be starting up next week. And so uh, I don't know if you've heard or not, but we have uh, this session is going to run for about eight or ten weeks, which is going to bring us right up into uh, Thanksgiving. Uh, And some of you are thinking, man, Thanksgiving is ten weeks away. I can't even believe it. Uh, But uh, yeah, it's going to run right up into Thanksgiving. So we're going to start the first week of September. Uh, And if you've never been involved in a life group or or this session, let me just tell you what's happening. Uh, We have several different groups that are going on uh, starting in September. So uh, we've got a young adults class. uh, We've got a a marriage uh, group. We've got a men's group. We've got a kind of a ladies group talking about identity and wellness. Uh, We've got a Bible study going through deeper uh, the book of Galatians. And so listen, there's going to be several groups. So no matter who you are, young or old, right, male or female, there's going to be a group for you. And so I can't encourage you enough to go uh, online at the LifePoint Connection com. Uh, click the life groups and make sure that you're signing up uh, for one of those this week. Uh, I want to very quickly remind you where we were last week in the book of Galatians. Uh, Paul says that he's been called by Christ himself. He says, he says I'm not, I, I've not been uh, called an apostle by men, or I've not been taught some trait by, by men, but I've actually been called by Christ himself. And he says, I've been called by Christ to preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus. That's what gospel means. It means good news. And so Paul begins to write this letter to churches in the area of Galatia because what's happened is we've taken the good news or they've taken the gospel and they've twisted it. They've perverted it, which makes it not the gospel at all. And so I wanted to start this morning by sharing with you Paul's gospel or the gospel that we see in the scriptures. The fact is, is that God created every single one of us to know God and to love God and to glorify God. But what happened, because we have an inherited sinful nature, every one of us, by nature and by choice, have turned their back on God and actually ran the other way. We've all chased other things besides God. We chased our own glory. We chased uh, our own stuff, our own future, our our hopes, our own passions. And the scripture is going to say, when we run from God like that, it's called sin. And so we've all fallen short of the intentions that God actually created us for. And sin is not just something that we do. It's something that we are. We are sinners. And so we talked about that last week, that sin is not just an external problem, but it's an internal issue. Are you guys following me with that? And so a lot of people think that sin is something that I've done. No, you're like, you're a sinner, and the result of you being a sinner is that you sin. You see that? And so it's a disease, and sin externally is a symptom of your disease. And so we need to understand that this is an ex, not an external problem, but a heart problem. Your sinful external behavior is a symptom to your disease. And so what we've done historically is we say, you know what? I have a problem with this, ABC, right? I struggle with this. I have temptations with this. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to start going to church. 
I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to get a self-help book. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to enter into some program, some philosophy, some way to somehow fix my external behavior. And so what happens is, is we're trying with our own strength to do some sort of self-help therapy to actually cure a disease. You know what that's like? That's like trying to just simply suppress a cough and not worry about the virus in your lungs. That's like trying to cool your fever, not, not realizing that you actually have a deeper virus that needs to be healed. And so what happens is we externally try to fix a problem that's not an external problem at all. It's a heart issue. And so you and I, we need help. We need a new heart. Listen to me. We need a new life. We need to be born again, the Bible says. We need a righteousness that goes beyond our own righteousness. We need someone to intervene that would somehow come and heal me from the inside out, not the outside in. You're following that now. And so we are sinners. And we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. And so we need help. And so God, because he loves us, doesn't leave us in our sin and doesn't leave us to chase that path, but he actually sends his only begotten son to die in our place and live the perfect life on our behalf. And so Jesus comes and he perfectly lives out the commands of God, the law of God, and he dies in our place. And so what he does when he dies is he takes upon himself all of my unrighteousness, all of my shame, all of my guilt, all of the ways that I've fallen short are put on to Jesus Christ. And in his resurrection, he gifts us by his grace, his righteousness. That's good news. Because I can't do anything externally to somehow make myself holy and pleasing to God. Not any amount of religious behavior, not any amount of church, not any amount of study. Nothing can make me right before God except the blood of Jesus. That's what I need on my behalf. And, and so this is what Paul says. He says this is what happens when you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. You actually become new. It's not the same you, it's a new you. And so the beginning of chapter 1, he begins to tell us the good news. And what happens is, is he says, when you hear that good news, the tendency in the churches of Galatia and churches today tend to twist that good news. And so we say, okay, it's uh, through the grace alone of God, the grace alone, so I don't earn it, I don't merit it, I don't deserve it. It's through his grace alone, through me trusting him alone, through my faith alone. Only in Christ alone is the gospel message. And we hear that, and what we do is we say, that just sounds too easy. That seems like I'm completely taken out of the picture. And so what we do is we pervert or twist that gospel by adding to it. And so we say, okay, the finished work of Jesus is not enough. What I need to do is I need to be a good boy, or I need to be a good person, or I need to do some things because somehow God is still not pleased with me through his son. And so we twist the gospel and we say, Jesus, yes, plus maybe these are some things that I need to do so God would be happy. And maybe people take fill their lives with a billion different religious activities trying to somehow save themselves instead of standing in the completed work of Jesus Christ on their behalf. 
And we're so exhausted. And what we've done is we've taken the good news of Jesus and we've twisted it into legalism. And so we begin to point fingers. You need to be like me. You need to do this. You should do this. And God's not pleased with you when you don't do this. And so we've taken it and we've said, you need to do this to be saved. When in fact, Jesus says, it is finished for you. It's finished. And Paul says, when we take that gospel and we twist it, it's actually not the gospel at all. It's not the gospel at all. And so then there's the other road that we go on. People hear the good news of Jesus, and they actually go the opposite way. So now it's not legalism. It's actually license. And so now, since Jesus completely saves me on no work of my own, now I can just simply do whatever I want. And you just have to deal with it, and God's going to have to deal with it, and Jesus just has to forgive me because that's what it says. And so we just live our lives and do what we want. I don't care what you say. I don't care what the, what the Bible says. I just do whatever I want. So there's no conviction over sin. There's no passion for Jesus. There's no love for Christ. There's no wanting to follow him. Jesus just simply becomes your get-out-of-jail-free card. And somehow you've bought into the fact that you think you have fire insurance at the end of the day. And Paul says that's not the gospel either. He says, I am astonished that you would run away from the true gospel. He says, when you run away from the true gospel, you actually rob it of its power. And so, so the question is, okay, Eric, if it's not legalism and it's not license, it's not do whatever I want or it's not do these things to be saved, where, where do we land then? Well, I would say you must put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ and his grace alone for you. Put your trust in Jesus, and by trusting him alone, by no works of your own, our, our response now is our action. And so my response to the fact that he loves me and he saves me despite of me, now I have an initial response to that to say, I love you, Lord. And so now my response to the good news of the gospel is, I die to myself so that I can live for Christ. I die to myself so I can live for Christ. Listen, I don't live for Christ in order to be made right. I live for Christ because I've been made right through the perfect work of Jesus. And so Paul, he doesn't let up on this point. So we're going to pick it up in verse 11. He says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not what? Man's gospel. Everyone say man's gospel. He says, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, he starts off with the same rhythm that he started the book off with. Remember, he says, I'm not an apostle because man told me I was. I didn't learn something from man. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ because of Jesus Christ, through Jesus. And he says, and my message is not a message that was taught to me by man. It was given to me by Jesus Christ. So he goes on and he says, this gospel, this true gospel is not something that I conjured up. It's not my opinion. It's not something that I was taught. It was given to me by God himself. And he says, this is not man's gospel. This is not man's gospel because this is the gospel of Christ. Because the difference is it's not centered on man. It's actually centered on Christ. And so let me tell you the difference. What's the difference between Paul's gospel and man's gospel? Well, well here's, here's what happens. Man's gospel is this. 
Man's gospel is, uh, okay, here's what I'm after. Here's my highest. Here's my hope. Here's my purpose. Here's my joy. Here's my happiness. This is God for me. This is heaven for me. Now, it may be a God, it may not be a God, but you, you, you would say, okay, this is my goal in life, this is what I need to bring salvation into my life, this is what's going to bring me peace, this is what's going to bring me enlightenment, this is what's going to bring me comfort or happiness or whatever, and man's gospel is, this is what I need to do to get there. This is what I need to do in order to grab hold of that. And so this is what I need to do to get to my God. And what I need to do to get to my heaven, this is what I need to do to get enlightenment. So I'm going to study, I'm going to work, I'm going to do all these things so that somehow at the end of the day, I can have the peace knowing that I'm there, that I've arrived. Are you following me with that? And so man's gospel is this is how I fulfill my purpose in life. Man's gospel is when you begin to create a set of beliefs and standards and you put your faith in that. And saying, this is what I must do. And so maybe you don't have it written down, but internally, that's how you live. Internally, you've you've made this decision, this is what I need to do in order to get where I want to get. Now, you can apply heaven to that or not. You can say, this is what I need to do and this, so I can get where I want to get. That is man's gospel because it's centered on you. Because it's centered on you climbing the ladder. Do you know every religion in the entire world is this is what you need to do to get to God, except for Christianity that says God has come to us? I mean, that, that is the significant difference between a false gospel and a true gospel. Everything else tells you, this is what I need to do in order to get what I really want. And Paul says, that's a false gospel. That's man's gospel. And so Paul writes this letter because that's where some of you are today. Paul says, the gospel that I preach to you, it's not like that at all. It's actually opposite of that. The fact the gospel that I preach to you was so centered on Christ as to make your only role in it a response. Your only role in the gospel is a response to what has already been done. And he says, I'd have you know that that gospel is Christ-centered. It's not man's gospel. Let's let's keep reading. Verse 13. For I did not receive this from man. I was not taught it. I I was given it through Jesus Christ. Verse 13. For you have heard of my, give me that, former life. Take your pen, prick your finger with a little blood, right? Do something, do something. But mark that in your Bible right now. That word that says former life. He says you have heard of my former life. Now, this is the greatest news for us. Because the true gospel is not from man, but God himself, it carries with a power that is not present in man's gospel. It carries with it a power that supersedes self-help. It carries with it a power that goes beyond self-discipline. You see, God's gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is greater than any man's gospel because Christ's gospel is a powerful, powerful gospel. The true gospel is Christ in us. The true gospel is the gospel to transform a current life into a new life, an old self 
into a new self. That is the power of the gospel. And if the gospel of Christ has the power to give new life, that means if we are in Christ, you too can have a former life. You can have a former life. You see, Jesus, he changes everything. He just just doesn't simply change you externally. He changes you inside out. And you today can have a former life. The gospel of Christ is an invitation to make all of your past, all of your mistakes, all of your shame, all of your guilt, listen, and even all your efforts that you've tried to create for yourself a hope and everything that separates from you from Christ, a former life. He says, I'll give you a former life. Now, some of you, you're sitting there and thinking, man, Eric, that's a pretty bold statement. Some of you are sitting there thinking, man, how can you say that? I mean, you don't, you, you don't know me. You don't know me. <laughs> you don't know my past. You don't know my struggles. You don't know my situation. You don't know my upbringing. You don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. How in the world can you stand there and say that the invitation of Christ is a former life and he wants to give you a new life? How can you even say that? Well, look, look at the Bible with me because I'm going to show it to you. He says, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently, and I tried to destroy it. Now, now, now hear me, because Paul says, in my former life, my hyper-religious life, my good boy life, I set out to violently kill Christians. That's his past. That's his former life. And that's what he's saying. You've heard of it because I'm well known throughout the entire land because I was the guy who would go town to town and imprison men and imprison women and kill people just simply for proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. He says, that's what I did. I would kill Christ's followers. I had men and women arrested. He says, I literally started a riot against one man who was proclaiming Jesus that I told all these other men to pick up rocks and throw it at this dude until he died. I held their coats. He says, he says listen, the reason you can confidently know that Christ's invitation for you today is a new life is because when I read this text, I read that the gospel of Christ has the power to save anyone. Anyone from any situation, from any past, from any history, I can stand here and tell you that no matter where you are today, the offer of God for you is a new life in Jesus Christ. And the reason why Paul wants to speak so boldly about his former life is because he wants to remove from you any lie that says God can't love me. Any lie in your heart, any lie in your mind that says, maybe I've gone too far. Maybe God can't love me. Maybe God can't, can't save me. And listen to me, if you're thinking that way, let me tell you, the Bible says you're wrong. God does love you. He can love you, and he can save you, and you can outrun him. Like, he's got more for you. And this just said that Jesus has the power to save a Christian killer. He has the power to save you. 
I mean, how do you sit across from this man at the table over a cup of coffee and say, I don't think God has the ability to love me. I've actually gone too far. He says, you're wrong. You've heard of my former life, right? You've heard how God changes everything. Now, now watch this because he's about to flip the script on us here because some of you, some of you, all you've known is church. Some of you grew up in church. Some of you, your mom gave birth to you on the altar. Your first word was Jesus. <laughs> Some of you have been doing this church thing for so long, but he's, he's going to go there too. He's going to address that. Look in verse 14. He says, not only did I kill Christians, but I was advancing in religion. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. I was so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. Now listen, not only was he violent and hostile toward the church and Christians, but he just said, he said, I was the best church boy around. He says, I was the best. I, I actually excelled in religion. I had all the badges. I had the Torah memorized. Bible memory verses, Bible quiz, whatever. I ruled that thing. He says, I was the best church boy around, and my motivation for the violence was my religious discipline. That little phrase there, tradition of my father's, was actually from the law of Moses. It's what it's referring to. He says, I kept the law to a T. I was, I was faultless in religion. And he says, I used the law of Moses to actually violate the law of Moses. I was so bent on keeping the rules, and no one could come against the rules. No one could come against the law that I violently hurt people who would say that it's not the law that saves. I actually used religion and my religious behavior to violate my own religious behavior. That's how religious I was. Now, some of you are thinking, well, what does that mean for thee? Maybe you came in here and you're like Paul, and you've kind of grown up into this thing. And when you hear me talk about grace and Christ alone, through grace alone, you just simply say, no, you've got to work. Maybe you've walked in here and you just find yourself self-righteous and duty-bound. Here's the thing about self-righteousness. You don't know you're self-righteous. You need someone to point it out to you. But you won't hear it. You're so self-righteous that Paul says, listen, even my self-righteousness, that was part of my former life. So listen, if you're duty-bound, if you're chained by religion, Paul says that too can be your formal life. You don't have to live like that. You don't have to live self-righteous. You see, Christ died for all the things that we've done wrong, and he died for all the wrong reasons you've done anything right. He dies for the religious and the irreligious. He came and wants to make you new. That's the true gospel. Maybe you walked in here today and you just simply feel like your life is a train wreck. Maybe your life is a train wreck because you've done some things that you're not proud of, that you're ashamed of. Or maybe you've walked in here and you are so in a spotlight of self-righteousness that you can't feel like you can do anything wrong or else God won't love you. 
the true gospel is that Christ wants to give you a new life. The offer of Jesus is that you don't have to walk out of here the same way you came in. He can give you a former life. Look in verse 15. Not only did I hurt Christians, but I was advancing in religion. I was advancing in Judaism above many my own age, among all my people, so extremely zealous I was for religion. But when he who had set me apart before I was what? Before I was born. And we got to do something with that. Because you have Paul who violently persecuted Christians in the name of righteousness. And according to this text, God, through all of that, had a great plan for his life. Through all of it. And God's plan for him was sent before he did anything wrong or anything right. God had a plan for Paul even before he was born. And in light of that text, let me ask you, how amazing is the beautiful patience of God toward you and me? How he's just patient with us. He's patient with us in our self-righteousness. He's patient with us in our running from him. He's patient with us when we belittle him and mock him. God would allow from the moment that we were born to continue to belittle his name and chase other lovers besides him. And he would be patient when we blame him and chase it and, and patient when we chase other things besides him. And he's patient in all the ways that we don't look to God for hope but we look to ourselves. God would allow us day by day to walk in self-satisfying wicked things, patiently waiting, waiting for the day that he would finally say no more and call you to himself and say, I've got a great, great, great plan for you. Now, according to this, this is his grace. This is his plan. This is, this is his love. This is not our works. Hear me. God is not patient with us because he's just waiting around for us to do right. You hear that? God's not patient with us until finally we get this thing down. God's not patient with us until finally I can clean myself up. And God is not patient with me someday when I finally learn how to walk this walk and talk this talk. God is patient with us not because I'm awesome but because he's awesome. Listen, we do not earn our right standing before God. We don't earn it. Before you did anything right or anything wrong, he died for you. Before you could do anything right, anything wrong, he says, I loved you. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Jesus loved us and died for us. How beautiful is the patience of God toward us. But it means regardless of how you've come into this place today, God is calling you. He has been calling you and wooing you unto himself. That's why you're here. That's why someone invited you here. Because God wants to reveal himself to you. 
He's not calling you to clean up. He's calling you to get a new life. You can have a new life in Christ. Listen, we don't, we don't clean ourselves up before we get in the shower. That doesn't make sense, does it? In the same way, when we're covered in guilt, when we're covered in shame, when we're covered in a, in a history or a past, listen, God's not saying, oh man, I don't know, you should probably do some things. You should probably clean yourself up before you get into this thing. No, he says, come, come into me. Just stand under the waterfall of my grace, under the shower of my love, and let me wash away your shame. Let me wash away your guilt. Let me wash away your past, and let my righteousness cleanse all your unrighteousness, and let me make you new. So that when you step out in Christ, you're a new creation in him, and you say, man, the old is passed away. It's gone down that drain. I have a former life. Because I have a new life. I have a new life in Christ. And he says, you will be without spot, without blemish, without wrinkle, and I will make you pure and holy in me. Let me close with this last thought. Verse 15. It says, but when he had set me apart before I was born, he called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Now, let me stop right there. If you've got your pen out, your highlighter, your blood's still bleeding, right? I want you to circle that word pleased. Because listen to me, that word pleased in this text, it's a direct reference to God, meaning God is pleased. So many conversations, so many times I've begun to talk to people and they want to know what pleases the heart of God. What brings joy to the heart of God? What is it that will finally please God? And this text just says that pleasure wells up in the heart of God when he reveals his son to the world. When he reveals Jesus to sinners, it pleases God to patiently endure our shortcomings, our wickedness, and our self-righteousness in order to bring us to a point where he reveals Christ to us and saves us. Imagine, Paul, imagine how God endured such patience with him. Imagine Paul growing up, circumcised on the eighth day, right? right along with the, with, the, with the law. He probably memorized the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. He, he, he lived by the law. He loved the law. He grew up very religious. And God used that religious upbringing to put in his heart a hate for Christians. Imagine that. Imagine how God would put so much hate and he would actually watch Paul kill and try to destroy the Christian church. Only, finally, to get to that moment where he's going from one town to the other to persecute Christians on that road to Damascus. And with a great deal of pleasure in the heart of God, Jesus shows up to Paul and says, no more, you're mine. Amen. Imagine that. Imagine how, how God would endure such patience to say, I've got a plan for you. And he says, you're mine. It pleased God, hear me, not to destroy him, but to save him. 
And some of you, you're sitting there hoping, wishing, trying to figure out how you cannot be under the wrath of God. Listen to me. The Bible just said that it pleases God to reveal to you the salvation through his son, Jesus. That's what makes God happy. That's what brings God joy. And so I pray that you and I would understand that, that it brings great pleasure to God to reveal to you his son, Jesus, so that you would be saved. When you received this invitation from God, a new life in Christ, listen, he's going to use you like Paul in ways you would never, ever imagine. Testimonies? He's going to use you in ways that you can't even fathom that God's going to use you. Look, look, at, look at what it says. He says, it was pleased, God was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach Jesus among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were the apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. He's saying, I went immediately to proclaim Jesus. Now, uh, he continues on for three years. He goes up to Jerusalem, meets Peter, right? Talks with some boys and look in verse 23. They only were hearing it said, that he, Paul, who used to persecute us, is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. Isn't that a testimony? That the one who is trying to destroy the faith is now preaching the faith. The one who was once hostile to the gospel is now preaching the gospel. The one who once persecuted Christians is now calling people to become Christ followers. That's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, my former life, my testimony is so powerful because of the gospel that every person who hears it, look at it, they glorified God because of me. Now, let me just tell you this. As the band gets ready, we're going to respond in just a minute. Listen, you have been uniquely wired and gifted by God. Amen. You have had your struggles, and you've had your past, and you've had your life, and every moment has been planned out for you by God. You have certain hobbies that you have. You have certain habits that you have. You've been placed in the neighborhood in which you live. You've been called into certain positions at work. You take the classes that you take and work with the people that you work with. You actually interact with the people in the church and out of the church for a particular reason so that you might reflect and testify to the gospel of Jesus Christ in a way that you can look people in the face and say, I know you probably won't believe it, but I had a former life and I've been made new. I'm not ashamed of that. Listen, when you, have you ever walked into a room full of people that knew you before you were a Christian? I have. I remember. There's one time I was in a church and I was worshiping. And there was a girl there that went to elementary school with me and junior high with me and a little bit of high school with me. 
and she saw me. And she said, Eric Darst? What are you doing in church? Not kidding you. What are you doing here? She calls her husband over. Hey, this is Eric. He's the one I was telling you about. I haven't seen this girl in 15 years. I had this shirt on that said, Love Wins. to you <laughs> I have a former life and I've been made new and would you believe it that I'm a pastor of a church <laughs> like isn't that crazy that I would have a former life my hope for all of you that you would see that there is a call on your life as a Christian there's a call on every one of your life that you would get in the game and not be so bored with all this external things that you would actually live your life in a way that says, hey, Jesus is good and the gospel is powerful because I had a former life and he called me to himself and now I'm made new. I haven't figured it all out yet. I'm not, I'm not probably where I need to be. But listen, he's made me new. It's not the same me just trying harder. It's a new me. It's a new me. My hope is that as LifePoint Church, you would enjoy this mission that you've been given and watch God use you in ways that you can't even understand. That people would see your life and say, man, the gospel is real. Jesus is powerful to make a wretched man like me clean before him. Many of you, your testimony of a former life, it might, it might be this. It might be the fact that you proclaim that you were busy with a thousand religious activities, trying to earn, trying to add to the gospel, and through all your religious efforts, you realize you don't know Jesus. But Jesus can save you from that. For some of you, maybe your former life is, I was a deacon. I was a pastor's kid. I was a pastor. I was a pastor's wife. I was, I was teaching Sunday school. I did all the religious things that men and women in church did. But Jesus saved me from that. That was my former life, and now I know him. Maybe your former life is, is, is just simply, you know, I, I went to church a few times a year, Chris, Christmas and Easter mostly, and I had the title of Christian, but my life really didn't line up. I really didn't walk or stand in the gospel that I said I believed, but Jesus saved me from that, and he brought me to himself, or maybe... Maybe you're here and your former life is the fact that you struggle. And when you think about your relationship with God, you just simply feel unworthy. You feel unclean. And you've done some things that you're not proud of and you maybe walked in here today really running from God and you're trying to hide your sin. Hear me. Jesus can save you from that. He wants to. 
He takes pleasure in redeeming the broken. He takes pleasure in saving the lost. He takes pleasure in making dead things alive. That's the gospel. Today, may the gospel of Jesus Christ, regardless of how you've walked in today, be an invitation to you that you don't have to leave the same way you came in. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray first for all the ways that I've clung to a different gospel. Lord, today I just simply repent for all the ways that I've tried to earn my righteousness before you. Today, Lord, I repent of all the reasons why I did anything good in the first place. And today, Lord, I repent of all the things that I've done to run from you. But today, Lord, today I want to put my trust in you. Today I ask you by your spirit to fill my heart with hope of the fact that, Jesus, you completely save. You can save me, Lord. You save the religious and the irreligious. Today I pray, Lord, that if there's any man or any woman in this place, that you would truly give them a new life, a new spirit, a new heart within them so that the old would pass away and the new would come and they would walk out of here that we as a church body, as men, as women in your name would walk out here a new creation and see the gospel change us from the inside out. Lord, I thank you for your sacrifice. I thank you, Jesus, for the finished work upon the cross. Today, help us trust you and put our faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen. So at this time, I challenge you every week is that this is a time to just simply respond to God. And maybe, maybe you just need to get alone for a moment or maybe you need to, need to just close your eyes and maybe you just need to pray and just simply confess. Maybe, maybe you're here today and, and you want to stand and worship and sing because you know the depths of God's patience and love and enduring for you. Maybe that's your response. But this is a time that's given to us to just simply respond to God. The only thing I'd ask that you don't forsake it Actually, grab hold of it. And listen, if you need help or if you need prayer or if you, you just need someone to pray over you or, or bless you or encourage you, maybe you're in that place right now where you don't even know what to say. There's people around the room here in the back with little lanyards that say pray. You can go to any one of them and let them just pray for you and encourage you with this good news that Jesus makes us new. I love you guys. Thanks. Let's worship.